Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that is the least supportive pretend girlfriend you've ever had. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we are working our way through the good, the bad, and the bonkers of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. All right, today we're covering Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1, Episodes 12 through 14. Seeds, Tracks, and Tahiti. <laughs> I, can, I can feel the shade you're throwing at Tahiti just in the way you say the title of the show, but we will get to that. Episode 12 is Seeds, in which Fitz and Simmons return with the team back to S.H.I.E.L.D. Academy to investigate strange incidents of frozen students on campus. Episode 13 is Tracks, where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. takes on Rashomon as we get various perspectives on a mission to retrieve a mysterious device from a train. And one agent's risky move backfires dramatically. Dramatically. Episode 14 is Tahiti, where the team comes together to save the life of one of their own. And I don't know why I'm being all coy about it, because if you're listening, you've either seen the episode or you don't care about spoilers. It's Sky. They're trying to save Sky's life. Third option, you just don't care. Okay. <laughs> well, go ahead and get us into the four color facts before we move into all the, the shade on Tahiti. All right. Four <laughs> color facts gets to start with one that honestly I should have explained forever ago, <laughs> just so that I made any kind of sense on previous mm -hmm. episodes. So they made it an Easter egg. I can finally talk about 616. All right. In the terms of the show, they drop the fact that the little flying fortress they're running around in's call sign is Shield 616. That mm -hmm. is a thing, and I've said it before on this show without ever explaining it. So here you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there is a writer of comics named Alan Moore. He's British. He is weird. <laughs> he is a magician. Yes, really. He and another writer, Alan Davis, coined this term. 616 in a story starring the darling of Marvel UK, Captain Britain. All right. You see, Captain Britain is Brian Braddock, a man who nearly died in a fatal motorcycle accident while trying to save people from a technological super criminal. Merlin with a Y, who may or may not be the Merlin, <laughs> and his daughter, the, get ready for it, Omniversal Guardian Roma. Okay. <laughs> Offered a choice to the nearly dead Brian. He could choose the Amulet of Right or the Sword of Might. Brian chose the Amulet and became Captain Britain. Oh, choices. Choices are always really good for characters. I agree. This one is pretty great. He actually says that he is not a warrior and is not mm -hmm. up to the challenge of a Sword of Might and so chooses the Amulet of Right. It's pretty wow. great. Turns out that Brian is now part of a multiversal squad of mystical protectors of various interdimensional Britons. <laughs> they are collectively known as the Captain Britain Corps. Okay, so is that like British Avengers? No, they are literally all Captain Britain, just from different universes. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so they're all, the so same. They're all Brian like Braddock, and Britain. in all of those universes, he chose the Amulet of Right every single time, and now they're all coming together? Oh, no, they're not all Brian Braddock. Oh, okay. 
Uh, one of them I, is... See, uh, I always associate the the superhero identity with the actual identity, and I need to keep those separate because Marvel does that a lot, right? Where different people can be, you know, the identity of like Captain America or Captain Marvel or, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, there are two... <laughs> approaches to this one is predominantly dc and the other one is sort of predominantly marvel but they both do both okay okay the one that you're thinking of that is kind of predominantly dc but marvel has toyed with in the recent Mm -hmm. past is what i usually describe as legacy heroes okay where you have a costumed identity that gets passed down you know from parent to child or Mm -hmm. You know, it's dynastic. Dick Grayson becomes Batman and Mm -hmm. Damian Wayne becomes Robin. I mean, you know, um, so it gets passed down. The other one Mm -hmm. that is predominantly Marvel, but again, DC has toyed with this to a lesser extent, is that you have these versions of a character that have the same superhero identity, but they're from another timeline or another dimension Mm-hmm. So they are still Captain Britain, but they are a different version of Captain Britain that makes more sense in that situation. Okay. So the 616 is a Marvel universe. Yes. And that's the one is that is that the one that the MCU is based in? Like that's the the main no. universe? <laughs> no. I'm so confused all the time. All right, no. explain it. So the MCU <laughs> does have a number, but it doesn't really matter. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're never going to have an actual crossover with the MCU because brand synergy is for other companies. Yeah. They're just, it's not going to happen. Um, okay. So is 616 the comics and yes. then the MCU is a different universe? You got it. Okay. Nailed it. All right. The, All right. But go ahead. But they said it's Flying Fortress 616 in this universe. So they're just kind of winking at the comics. Is that it? Yep. I got it. All right. No, I'm good. I'm good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Apparently, and I never noticed this, but apparently Mm -hmm. it also shows up in Thor The Dark World uh, when Selvig is in the asylum and he is working Mm -hmm. on the blackboard. I guess it says like Universe 616 in the center of the board, but I never noticed that. Oh, goodness. I didn't notice it either. This is the first time that that I've really heard somebody say that number out loud and they say 616 not 616 which again is like code you know we we right um Uh uh-huh so yeah so brian braddock is the one who first in fiction hears someone refer to his universe as universe 616 Mm -hmm. now marvel uk was its own kind of thing but then chris claremont who is like the architect Mm -hmm. of the best parts of the x-men universe did a British X-Men book, kind of, called Excalibur. Captain Uh Britain was in it, so the term 616 starts getting used in more mainstream X-Men comics. And after a couple of dozen uses and a few years of usage by fans, it catches on. All right. Okay. So the main comics universe is 616. Yes. The MCU universe doesn't have a designation it's just mcu so the marvel cinematic universe earth is earth one nine 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 okay it is earth one hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. i guarantee there's a giant number there mm-hmm. so that everybody realizes they shouldn't mess around with crossing over with right it. <laughs> i realize that this concept kind of confuses you a little bit and it is a little bit complex Mm -hmm. but you had 
okay, you have a couple of different ways to approach it, okay? And in the case of DC, theirs was actually a little easier to keep track of. They had kind mm -hmm. of a relatively low number of Earths that anybody cared about, right? right. Their main universe was Earth 1, so already simpler. It's not right. 616. <laughs> Thereby suggesting that there are at least 615 other universes we need to be concerned with. You know, other versions, yeah. Earth one. Then they had Earth two, that mm -hmm. originally was the versions of the Justice Society of America that fought in World War II, just gotten uh -huh. older. Okay. Okay. Pretty uh -huh. easy. You had Earth three, which is the evil Earth where all the uh -huh. bad guy versions of our superheroes live. Ooh, Bizarro Earth. No, Bizarro Earth exists in Earth One, just in another galaxy. Oh, but that's Bizarro where everything's opposite, Earth though, right? Isn't that the the heart of Bizarro? Opposite. Yes, is opposite. Okay, Bizarro was opposite about everything. Beauty is ugly, good is bad, all that stuff. In Earth, but that's three, a DC thing. Yeah, evil is a virtue. Uh huh. So okay. So you have Superman, who is actually Ultraman, and Batman, who is Owlman, and Wonder Woman, who is Superwoman, and all kinds of other. Villains are good guys, heroes are bad guys kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You also had like Earth-X where the Nazis were still in charge and Earth-S where Captain Marvel, the little boy that says a magic word and becomes a superhero, lived. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, later they added, I, I forget the designation, honestly, but like the Charleston heroes. What are the Charleston heroes? Okay. So the Charleston characters, this is a good example of why DC did this kind of thing or started doing this thing. DC started mm -hmm. acquiring defunct comic book companies and okay would fold those characters into their existing narrative by just saying they were on a different earth so you could have <gasps> superman team up with captain adam a charleston character mm -hmm. and do a story about that without having to completely rewrite your continuity because they were just another earth we hadn't discovered before now okay, okay? yeah now, again, mm -hmm. this does get a little complicated. I don't want to make it sound like it's not complicated, but I do feel mm -hmm. like Marvel's approach is a little more unwildly. And one reason for that is they never actually meant to start a multiverse. Not really. They yeah. had a book called What If? And the whole concept of What If, you can imagine from the title, is what if this one fundamental thing about the Marvel Universe went differently? Right. What if Aunt May mm -hmm. dies instead of Uncle Ben? What if Punisher murders everybody? What if Jane is the one who finds Mjolnir? Right. Like yeah. just all of these. And this book ran forever. And they were all these relatively short stories that just yeah. looked at what if this one mm -hmm. thing changed? Well, I may have mentioned that around the 70s, continuity nerds became a thing in a way that they hadn't really been right. for superhero comics before then. Not really. You sure. know, you start mm -hmm. having fans grow up to become professionals and all that stuff suddenly is supposed to matter, you know, in a way that it didn't. Yeah. Before. Mm -hmm. And. Mm -hmm. So when somebody who really liked that what if story wants to revisit that or say, what if that version of Spider-Man met the regular version of Spider-Man, they would create a story to do that. And now all of a sudden you have a multiverse. And because what if ran for all of these issues, it's like, we really mm -hmm. probably need some big numbers. Right. And then you have mm -hmm. Alan Moore come along who just wants to add color to the whole thing. So he gives it a big number, 616. And it just suggests all of these other universes whether you find out about them or not right. right but but okay that does kind of kind of indicate a an external 
perspective pov on these things that is counting all of the universes because anybody the universe that you are in is going to count as one right (laughs) for anybody in that universe Uh, it is kind of funny to watch this concept of earth one and earth two get translated into modern media and have the earth two guys turn to the earth one guys and be like why the hell do you get to be earth one what's this crap right (laughs) Well, because I mean that it that kind of implies a yes. perspective, right? A, an ultimate perspective, and anybody looking at their universe is going to be like, "Well, this is right. one, St- one." <laughs> so we're starting count here. from other way. Yeah. So yes. in the case of Captain exactly. Britain, you do actually have this. I mentioned that Merlin's daughter is the omniversal guardian, omniversal yeah. being. So she's all the universes. she's the external yes. POV. She's the one counting yes. and naming. And, okay, and then right, you have I some other yeah. uh, entities of extremely great power. They are aware that they are entities of extremely great power in this universe, which lets them know mm-hmm. about other universes, but not necessarily mess with them. You also have Doctor Strange, who is the Sorcerer Supreme of this dimension, and they have recently made a big deal mm-hmm. about how well that means there's a Sorcerer Supreme of a bunch of different dimensions. And sometimes dimensions means different timelines, and sometimes it means higher and lower orders of reality. Again, comic book universes not always well known for their consistency, despite the ridiculous amount of time we focus on continuity. (laughs) Now, I will say. Wow. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And. No, I'm, I was just I was just astounded by the whole thing. That's all. (laughs) I love that reaction. It's probably the only legitimate reaction coming at this from jump street right like from nothing right right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there it is you know and you can kind of see how this would happen i mean what if is really just fanfic made commodity way before that was a thing yeah i mean and it is really like writing fanfic about your own characters to a certain extent right right you know like when they take characters and they do their own thing like you know and i mean that's essentially what fanfic is like what if these things happened with these characters you know yeah Yeah. no that's interesting yeah so it's a fascinating phenomenon like internally Mm -hmm. again it kind of uh dc's was organic but also kind of makes a lot more broad sense you Mm -hmm. know like you had people show up and say, okay, we know that you've relaunched Flash and Green Lantern as science fiction guys, but Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman didn't go anywhere. What about those? And mm-hmm. somebody gets the bright idea, to, you know, somebody, I could just imagine, like, comes running into the editorial office and is like, crisis on two Earths. <laughs> and it's like, that'll sell, you know. <laughs> and then you're teaming up old heroes and new heroes. Like, it's mm-hmm. that one makes sort of broadly more sense whereas marvel was just like let's just do this what if book and then you had somebody go hey mm-hmm. <laughs> what if yeah every one of those what if stories was its own timeline huh you know uh, so that's interesting yeah yeah it's it's very cool i i think it's very cool the uh, multiverse is one of the uh more difficult to get across but also biggest selling points of superhero universes for me it's just a yeah. delightful bit of nonsense yeah, no, it's great. And I mean, there is a theory, right? There's a scientific theory about that saying that, like, you know, every choice that we make spawns a new universe, yeah. you know, I mean, that that stuff is out there. So I mean, it's it's a really interesting kind of way to play with that, that idea philosophically, it's you know, so what cool. happens in that case? Yeah, it's so cool that 1964 was that far ahead of like quantum theory. Yeah. 
You know, we just want to tell an interesting story. And then science eventually comes to a place where, I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I don't want to say that's plausible, but you can mm -hmm. kind of be like, hey, these are not completely dissimilar, you know? Right, right. Well, no, I mean, it's it's really, it's it's kind of a, a neat idea because fiction, of course, reflects reality back at us, right? Mm -hmm. Fiction is, is the way we take a lens so that we can look at specific kind of isolated elements of, of reality. That's the whole point of fiction is allowing us to have these experiences. So the idea that this fictional space kind of promoted this, this, you know, quantum theory, scientific idea, you know, um, I think is, is, uh, it's an interesting question. You know, like, how much do we know that we don't know we know? Yeah, yeah. How much are we guessing just for fun that turns out to be mm -hmm. Very that turns accurate. out to be legit science. Yeah. yeah no, I think, it, well, that's that's when you start kind of like, you know, poking your finger at the nature of actual reality. And that's not what we do here. <laughs> that's going a little too far. That is outside my pay grade. I'll tell you right now. Fair enough. <laughs> I will bring this back down to earth by pointing out that okay. there are a couple of joyless dipsticks in the hierarchy at Marvel <laughs> that hate the term. Yes. But most of Marvel Comics fandom doesn't listen to them and have decided numbering universes is actually very handy. For keeping track of who is who and from which timeline and continuity. So I think absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Maybe don't start with 616, like if you're planning, but <laughs> you know. But once you've done it, go ahead and run, run with it. Run with it. You know yeah. what? You're, yeah. you're stuck. Have fun. Exactly. <laughs> so did you know that Donnie Gill, the student from Seeds, is kind of sorta a guy from the comics? I did. I did. I didn't know much about it, but I knew that he he had sort of come from and similar to to the way that like Franklin Hall came from the comics, that there had been a, a reference to him and they sort of expanded on it. But who is Donnie Gill in the comics? I will say Franklin Hill is quite a bit closer to his source material than Donnie Gill is. OK. <laughs> All right. Comic book Donnie Gill is a small time hood who, like so many other small time hoods before him, was given a gimmick by Justin Hammer. Mm -hmm. He was given Oh, a Justin Hammer. You may recall Justin Hammer, yes. Tony Stark light douchebag from Iron Man 2. <laughs> yes. In the 616, hey. Ah. In the 616, he's more like a power broker. And I mean that kind of both literally and figuratively. He is like a mover and shaker <laughs> behind the scenes of captains of industry. He is also a guy who every now and then just gives some rando a supervillain outfit <laughs> so that he can have a small army of supervillains. Right. Enter Donnie Gill, who is the okay. second Blizzard. He's given the old Blizzard's outfit because the first Blizzard was dead. Okay. Mm -hmm. He has had a very not illustrious criminal career, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. He's actually tried to go straight a couple times and failed pretty spectacularly each one of them. Okay. But there are, in my opinion, two very interesting things about him. Mm -hmm. One of those might require a little explanation that I'll go into deeper detail on in a future episode. But just mm -hmm. know that thanks to movies, there was kind of a corporate reason that Marvel Comics might have wanted to kind of shuffle mutants off screen. And so they created a situation where a very indirect link to the Kree would give mm -hmm. normal Earth humans a bunch of superpowers. Uh-huh. So you still get seas of people with random powers, but you don't ever have to say the word mutant again. Sure. Because mm -hmm. it's off-brand. Right. <laughs> okay. In the process of this, Donnie Gill, a.k.a. The Blizzard, 
mm-hmm. gets some extremely convenient cryokinetic powers. All right. So he doesn't need the suit anymore. Uh-huh. Okay. And there's no reason for him to get cold powers except he'd had this suit that was separate from him but let him do cold power things. Right. He also inexplicably got electric powers, but whatever. I mean, All right. <laughs> sure. The other much more entertaining factoid about him is that he once tried to pick a fight with She-Hulk. <laughs> she said no and invited him to get a drink instead. <laughs> they got riotously drunk and She-Hulk changed back to her human form as Jennifer Walters just in time to throw up on Blizzard and pass out. <laughs> And I am sure that somebody out there is a huge fan of Blizzard. But yeah. I'm going to plant my flag in that She-Hulk throwing up on you is the most interesting thing about him. I'm just going right. to, I will okay. die on this hill. Okay. All right. There's no, yeah. I mean, I'm going to get added by some super hardcore Blizzard fan, but. Yeah. No, that's all right. <laughs> hey, Lonnie. Hey, Joshua. Somebody finally said the word Deathlock out loud. Yay. Yay! So, Deathlock. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is quite a thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm interested in this because I, of course, am only familiar with Deathlock through... I mean, I, I knew that it was referenced from the comics, but only through Mike Peterson, only through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I'm really interested in learning the history of Deathlock because it sounds pretty serious. I feel like there are some things that will be and have been said on this show that you may not have any background in and you'll just be like, there is no way that writer's room came up with that. That's a comic book reference. All right. <laughs> Deathlock is very high on that list. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So Deathlock, there've been a few of them. Okay. They're all essentially cyborg killing machines. Mm-hmm. We are going to focus on the second or third. It's a little weird. Cyborg <laughs> killing machine to carry that mm-hmm. name from the 616. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bonafides, right quick, uh, created by Dwayne McDuffie, the writer, and Gregory mm-hmm. Wright, the artist, and Jackson Geis, who did some art and also colored it, mm-hmm. in Deathlock number one, 1990. Okay. Very recent. Yeah. As far as these things go. Right. <laughs> he started out as Michael Collins. Mm-hmm. He is a PhD with a loving family and a great job as a researcher in the areas of robotics and cybernetics. Okay, great. He works for Cybertech, a division of Roxxon. <laughs> so they're going to be bad guys. Like, yeah. yeah. Now, a really interesting character tidbit about Michael is mm-hmm. he was a pacifist, like an avowed pacifist. Oh. And he was working at Cybertech. He thought on creating code and the devices to use that code as prosthetic limbs. Oh. Mm-hmm. Surprise, Roxxon was selling into the military to create killer cyborgs. <laughs> well, that's always a risk, it's, right? <laughs> in the in the Marvel universe, yes, just if your name is kind of a pun or if you are mm-hmm. working on benign technology, you're going to wind up tied up in some stuff sure (laughs) now of course collins is incensed Mm -hmm. and he tells a friend of his at the company who immediately shoots him full of sedative and sends him in for a bunch of illegal surgery oh god (laughs) so when collins awakes he's in the cyborg body of the previous deathlock oh wow he is kind of a passenger 
uh-huh. in the body. Like there is a computer that is running things. Okay. But it's using sort of his brain as so like to clock its giga cycles or whatever. I don't yeah. know. It was 1990. <laughs> Nobody said any of that stuff. <laughs> but Collins is trapped in there. He's forced to watch the Deathlock cyborg go on a test mission and kill some soldiers. Oh my God. He's horrified, right? But there's nothing he can do. He's just in there having conversations with the computer. Now, eventually, he comes to a point where he can reason with the computer, Uh which he calls pewter. (laughs) Okay. And he convinces it to use non-lethal means as long as the mission directives are still furthered. Okay. Once he's that much in control, he goes after that friend of his that betrayed him, catches that guy, and is told that his human body is still in storage somewhere. Oh. So if he can find it, Collins can have his brain transferred back into his regular body and return to his normal happy life. Oh, wow. This is a really great story. it's It's a really great concept, but I'm pretty sure that none of that ever happened. <laughs> but I don't know for sure... Because the 90s came to an end. Yeah. Just about the time that I stopped being a teenage boy, so I was less <laughs> concerned with cyborg killing machines. Sure. Which actually coincided with superhero comics deciding to be less preoccupied with cyborg killing machines and to stop trying to convince us that they could all be badass heroes. Right. <laughs> now, that was a lot of 90s comics, so I feel comfortable snarking about it. Mm-hmm. But... I want to say that Dwayne McDuffie was an extremely talented writer who did something really clever with this story by putting this pacifist in the driver's seat of the killing machine. Oh, yeah. No, that's fantastic. I love that essential philosophical conflict. I think that that's really great. We also have a very clear sense of what it is that he wants and the challenge to him getting it. You know, I mean, that's essential narrative theory, right? What does your protagonist want and why can't he have it? So we have that. I mean, this is fantastic. I'm going to go find those. Those look like really good stories. Do they finish that story? I really don't think so. Uh, His book kind of stopped selling enough on its own. And he started showing up in like Marvel Comics Presents as a backup story. And he they would try and like kind of get him hooked back into the Marvel Universe every now and then by Mm -hmm. having him like hang out with the thing or Spider-Man. But it just never really caught on. And like I said, he's if you go look at his character design and stuff, there is a very sort of. uh like laser guns and pouches, 90s sensibility to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The era just kind of passes. And, you know, like I say, kind of my interest as well. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just not sure. I don't think they ever really answered this. Now, you are nailing, though, the talent of Dwayne McDuffie. This man yeah. knew how to put stories together. Absolutely. That's fantastic. I remain a huge fan of his work, both in comics and in animation. He did a lot of animation. Mm -hmm. He was also responsible for the entire Milestone universe, which was a publishing company meant to feature creators and characters of color in superhero comics. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah. It's there's a lot of that stuff that was really, really great. Um, Mm -hmm. I highly recommend a lot of the old Milestone stuff. The new Milestone stuff does not have him involved. Um, and is, I don't know. I haven't read a lot of it. It seems like a mixed bag, but Mm -hmm. if you're interested in some McDuffie animation work, he was on the animated justice league and justice league unlimited from the two thousands. He is also responsible for revamping cartoon networks, Ben 10 series into Ben 10 alien force and ultimate alien. 
Now, I mentioned this one for two reasons. First of all, that series is fantastic. Awesome. The other reason I mention it is my son and I love it deeply. And it is the first superhero that he introduced me to. Oh, how cool. Yeah, he was a big fan of Ben 10 and made me like, come on, dad, you're going to really like him. It's great. And and it's it is a the the first series where Ben is actually 10 years old is not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when mm-hmm. McDuffie comes in and revamps it to be a little bit older, like that kind of Marvel yeah. young adult sensibility. Sure. It mm-hmm. is so good. So good. Oh, awesome. Now, you may have noticed I'm using a lot of past tense. That's because we lost McDuffie in 2011. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, but I say celebrate the man's work because we are poorer for his passing. And rather than get all sad about it, just go enjoy all the amazing stuff he made because there was a lot of it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, he sounds fantastic. I'm completely engaged in that Deathlock story. And I'm so excited because I think we get some of that in the Deathlock that we get in um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We get some of that, like, it's, you know, essential internal conflict where you're having to do bad things, but you're not in control of any of it. You know, so like, where is your responsibility line in that? They also tie it. I haven't seen as much as you, but they clearly Mm -hmm. tie it into their existing mythology to get Peterson to the same place that Michael Collins was, where he's trying to do these awful things yeah. in the least awful way. Yeah. I mean, we don't want yeah. Michael Peterson talking to a computer in his head. That's not going to work on television as well. Right. But we almost kind of have that. And we seeded that with I Spy, you know, right. early on with the eye that has that. So that's pretty cool. Well, I think that this is probably a good time for us to transition into discussing our three episodes for this oh, week. Oh, let's do it. Right. <laughs> So let's go ahead and get started with Seeds. Seeds aired on January 14th, 2014, and was written by Monica Owusu-Breen and Jed Whedon. Owusu-Breen and Whedon are both producers on the show, so we're getting into some of our our standard writers. And when you get a bunch of standard writers who are on staff, who are doing this work regularly, we usually tend to get um, better episodes that are more strongly versed in who these characters are and more consistent sometimes. Anyway, Seeds was directed by <laughs> Kenneth Fink, and this is Sphinx. We'll talk about that. You when we don't get have to get ahead um, of me. <laughs> anyway, Seeds was directed by Kenneth Fink. This is Fink's only episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that he is going to direct. Um, now, the character of Donnie Gill um, is played by Dylan Minnette, who some of you may know from the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why. Uh, but of course, I know him from his role as Jack Shepard's kid, David, from Lost. So that's whenever I see this kid, I'm like, oh, it's from the kid from Lost. It's Jack Shepard, baby Jack Shepard. Um, and uh, we also have Christine Adams in this episode who plays Agent Weaver, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Academy SciTech Division. And she's going to return for a handful of episodes throughout the first two seasons. So we're going to be seeing her come back again. So, Joshua, tell me what you thought about Seeds. So my initial reaction is that this is one of those episodes kind of like I spy. Yeah. That should be my bread and butter. Uh-huh. Very focused on the agency. There's a mystery. There's some spy fi stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we come to this right after massive reveals and really interesting story moves forward from the last yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. And that leaves me in a place where I have a hard time caring about your fascist science Hogwarts. Right. <laughs> All right, you know what? 
Fair enough. I kind of, uh, these kinds of episodes, the the spy-fi, the, you know, we've got a mystery to solve, all this kind of stuff, is not the kind of thing that ordinarily draws me in. Because I'm not that interested in in those individual stories. I'm in it for the, for the big story, for yeah. the overarching thing, you know? And so for, I think for both of us, Seeds comes as a little bit of a disappointment, although it's not, I, I don't think it's a terrible episode. It's not bad. I just don't care. Right. Unfortunately, I just don't care at this point. Although we do bring, you know, Quinn back in, which is kind of folding in, you know, this bad guy from earlier. So we're getting a sense of, of that continuity and that something bigger is going on. Right. Of course. So, so we do sort of get that, but, um, but there are some things that I think are kind of interesting in seeds. Like for one, we have um, we have Fitz and Simmons going back to give the lecture, the talk, mm-hmm. right, about ethics in science. And we had brought this up, um, you know, earlier in our discussion of Agents of Shield, where where you know I was sort of making the argument that science should always be pursued; that it is not the responsibility of the science to think about what bad people might do with it, rather to to push the science forward. And of course, a lot of scientists then, you know, added me on Twitter and and sent me messages saying there are very strong ethics in science. We have a lot of ethical considerations, which of course they would. I'm just saying that like, I don't know, I I, kind of feel like science should be pursued. You know, that that scientific knowledge, that knowledge is always a good thing. And and people are going to do bad things with whatever tools they have, be it science, be it a knife. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, a knife which can be used to make dinner and can also be used to stab somebody through the heart. Like there are bad things that that bad people are going to do with anything that they get their hands on. But of course, science and knowledge, knowledge is truly an ultimate power. And when you think about how much power somebody can get, a bad person can get by getting their hands on powerful science. I mean, there are definitely ethical considerations to... uh, to bring into that. But here we have Fitz and Simmons having both of them contributed to this freezing technology. You know, she contributed one thing, he contributed another. Somebody found those plans and put them together, you know, to make your Reese's peanut butter cup of bad, bad, you know, technology. Right. Um, So, so now we have them kind of addressing, you know, the lecture hall and we don't really get, I think, a final resolution to what it is that they're saying actually about the responsibility of science, because in the middle of it, it gets interrupted by Donnie Gill getting frozen by this, whatchamacallit, right? You know? Yeah. We don't really by hear the, the, the end magical of technological talk. Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah. We don't really hear what they, where they come to on that. Um, but I think it is an interesting question. Yeah, I agree. I just this week finished the video game horizon zero dawn. Oh, yeah, you've been talking about that. It was was so fantastic. And I can't really go into detail, but I can tell you that because of that story itself, I am having a lot of complicated Mm -hmm. feelings about the both negative and positive unintended consequences of technology and science. Okay, so can you share some of that with us without spoiling the video game? Absolutely not. Okay. (laughs) What I can say is, what I can say is... Uh That I have, I have kind of these like bigger theories about monsters, right? And that they are mm-hmm. always a cultural reflection back on us, right? Like, what are we afraid of? Right. We mm-hmm. personify it into this thing. And a lot of times we still do it. We're a little more self-aware about it, but we still do it like in horror films and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I would say it's really interesting to me to see in one piece science and technology run amok be both the Mm -hmm. worst possible option 
and simultaneously, because of the twists and turns of the story, the best possible option. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit Phoenix from the ashes. That's about as much as I want to say without giving too much away. But I think Mm -hmm. that's the horror story or the question that we're trying to answer modern society, right? I think. Um, And we're... Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of interesting to me that I'm seeing it dealt with in ways that aren't quite so monstrous or that are sort of tempered by this piece of like hope or optimism about it also. Right. Yeah. No, because I mean, it's, I, it's I a tough question Fitz to answer. Yeah. Being upset that their stuff is being used for something they didn't intend, mm-hmm. but they don't seem to feel particularly responsible like they don't like it right but they're also not if only we had never created the thing right well that that never seems to be the right answer to not create the thing and and once you create the thing once you advance the technology it can also save lives you know i mean there are tons of things that good things that can be done with with all of this technology but bad people are going to use bad things and they're going to do bad things but when you give them powerful things, you know, if, if there's something that can only be used for destruction, you know, like a bomb, right? I think that there's yeah. less of a question about the ethics of that. Um, but the... Right, we talked about that in terms of Bruce Banner, right? Like right. very quickly, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. see what was in the 60s an extremely ethical and patriotic yeah. science. Let's make mm-hmm. this bigger, better bomb turn mm-hmm. into, well... Yeah. But I mean, I mean, within 15 years, by the time we get the TV show, he's a medical researcher now. Right. You know, because if something is can only be used for killing, you know, if that's the only thing that it can be used for. Well, then I think you've got less of like an ethical quandary. Yes. there. You know, um, but it is it is a really interesting question. And I love when the scientists and the audience kind of get back to us on this stuff. So I look forward to hearing from them. Definitely a lot of that discussion happens in the discord chat, which is a, a, a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, so we have some good stuff going on there. So I thought that the talk was interesting. I also thought it was interesting that we didn't see Fitz and Simmons really land anywhere. But we do see them, like you said, not not feeling overly you know, weighted with the responsibility mm-hmm. of this. I mean, even when we have Fitz who accidentally like fixes the power problem for Donnie Gill, which apparently was the plan all along, which seems a little bit like every now and again, we have these, you know, bad guys who have these ridiculous plans that require, uh, you know, people to make very specific choices <laughs> all along the way. And if yes. they don't make those specific choices, like it's not just that they use this technology, that they have it, you know, kind of go out in this in this incident where this kid, you know, almost gets frozen. Right. Um, so that goes out and then happens to catch the attention of Fitz and Simmons, because, of course, they use their technology. Now he needs an answer from Fitz on how to, like, fix this very complicated thing. So. Fitz and Simmons have to choose, first of all, to come down to S.H.I.E.L.D. Academy, or they were asked, I think, by Agent Weaver. So it is possible that Seth and Donnie could have ceded that idea to Agent Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that she would necessarily listen to a couple of these screwball kids and, you know, and bring down Fitz and Simmons. They come and they give the talk. They happen to be there. Also, the Fitz would happen to be sent to go talk to Donnie, you know, instead of say Simmons, right, you know, or anybody else or that anybody would go to talk to Donnie, like how he could have set that up so that that would specifically happen, that all these things would specifically happen. It's a very flimsy plan. Like a good antagonist has control and doesn't leave all of these variables where we have a million what ifs that could have happened differently, you know? Um, So leaving all those variables and then when it all just happens to work out right, you know, they're all like, ha ha, our plan worked. It's like your plan was stupid. There's no control over any of those variables. You know, it just happened to work out the way that you wanted it to. So 
that all felt a little bit weird. And then, you know, Fitz happens to help him figure out his answer, which seems incredibly simplified, right? You know, use oxygen to cool it. But like, isn't that how every laptop works that pulls air in? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know how good the techno babble is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not entirely, the fact that I could understand it makes me think it's probably not that good. Um, and also that like, it's, it's this kind of like brilliant idea that exists in my laptop in front of me and I couldn't figure it out. Like that doesn't speak to this 190 IQ and this, you know, incredible brain for science. But then again, you know, if we don't understand it at all, if it becomes just outrageous techno babble, we have no connection with understanding how, how great this, you know, revelation is or whatever. So I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough line to ride for any writer. So like I have sympathy for that, but it just, it felt a little simplified to me that it was something that like, I felt like I could have been like, well, my laptop draws air in. Does that do it? Like, you know, that's the kind of thing that I would be like, huh? You know, and if I can think of it, then, then it doesn't make me feel that great about, you know, Fitz being such a genius. It feels you know? real Star Trek, um, the next generation. It's like techno babble, techno babble, techno babble. So it's like a balloon in a microwave. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It's tough. It's tough to write that stuff, you know, because if you if you're writing it, you're writing it at a space that is completely outside the understanding of most people, you know, but if you make it simplified so that people can understand it, then they'll be like, well, I could have come up with that, you know, so um, like I and that's exactly the voice I had in my head when I thought, well, I could come up with that. Like, I feel um, like the lesson so I don't know, we're it's supposed weird. to take away from this mm -hmm. is that Donnie is an idiot. Because he actually so. nearly kills himself in order to set this mousetrap style villain plan in motion. Yeah. Not a good right. guy. Not you a know, smart I, guy. It's... It's not a great plan. There's a lot of variables there. He could have like died, you know, and that's not good. Um, not good for the antagonist, you know. So we go through this whole thing. We've got a lot of this like stupid antagonism, you know, with these two dumb kids, you know, who are and then the ultimate floppy haired douchebag in <laughs> Seth, right? You know? Yeah. Um, and so so we end up, you know, with them setting off this device in the middle of, you know, like causing this huge you know, tornado thing. Floppy haired douchebag, of course, gets killed, as is only right and appropriate. Um, and uh, and then and then we have at the end, you know, Donnie saying, I got the only friend I ever had killed. And like, no, you didn't. Your douchebag friend got himself killed. You were the one who said, hey, yeah, maybe Donnie we don't do isn't this. in the you driver's know? seat of that plan, it doesn't seem like. No, not at all. So like, so all of it feels just a little, I think that's part of the reason why I don't particularly care for this episode. Although there are things in this episode that I do kind of sure. like. Overall, the episode just feels kind of um, poorly constructed you know, to me. Um, and we've got this little side, you know, story with May and Coulson. They're going down to Mexico to find this this agent who disappeared into the wind, but they, of course, can find him in a heartbeat. Um, he's been gone for 25 years and nobody can find him and S.H.I.E.L.D. wants to kill him, but yada, 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 they can find him in a heartbeat. And then, of course, May goes into the alley with this guy instead of saying, hey, I'm from S.H.I.E.L.D., we just want to talk. You know, beats the living hell out of him, almost gets herself she goes killed. To the <laughs> and then it's finally Edwin Jarvis school of making first contact. <laughs> right. Shoot first. Tell them why you're there later. Right? Hello, it's... sinister voice. Hello. Welcome to this. Exactly. <laughs> It's just kind of, I don't know, it's all a little bit weird, but they find out this information about Sky, right? You know, about she is, as a baby, was an 084. She has some kind of weird powers that nobody really knows about. Um, and of course, we have this moment with May where she's like, 
you can never tell her, which means, of course, he's going to turn around and tell her immediately. Right. <laughs> because that's how that always works. Anytime anybody you says you can never. At the camera, May. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we have this moment where Coulson is talking to Sky, right? And he says, um, you know, Ian Quinn's not the only one who manipulates people. We do it all the time, actually teach it at the Academy. So here we have finally, like, Coulson textually acknowledging that S.H.I.E.L.D. is, is black ops. Like, <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. is not not a place for, for good and, and rightness. And he's going through this whole, you know, thing where he's just had this discovery about what happened to him during the time that he was dead. You know, all these memories that Raina had him go through, you know, in the in the bomb shelter uh, town. And um, and so, like, all of this stuff, like, he's dealing with all this stuff and he is completely going off book. Like, Coulson is losing his shit and everybody's just pretending like this is all okay, you know? Yeah. But he is he is getting everything is getting in, in all of these episodes just more and more personal and more and more off book in a way that is kind of dangerous you know um but we get to this thing where he's talking with may and this is the part that i really liked in this episode um was when he's talking about the way that sky took the news you know and how she kind of you know um like gave him faith in humanity instead of losing her own. And then he has this thing where he says, the world is full of evil and lies and pain and death, and you can't hide from it. You can only face it. The question is, when you do, how do you respond? Who do you become? And I think that this is like the basic thematic question of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, but also kind of for superheroes. I mean, what do you think about that? One thing that about that specific scene that I wanted to see Mm -hmm. what you thought Mm-hmm. is that they want me desperately, especially in the next two episodes, to care about Sky. Yes. But they let her have this big revelation 85% off screen. Off screen, yeah. So her big reveal is not really a character beat for her. It's a character beat for Coulson. Yeah. And this stood out for me because I still really don't care about Sky, <laughs> And they really need me to for the next couple episodes. Right. Do you think that because we care about Coulson, that they put this, they filtered her revelation through Coulson and explained it to us, right? Instead of letting us see her say, you know, I thought I didn't have family. Now I realize that I've had family all along, that these people were taking care of me from the shadows, all of this kind of stuff. Like, we don't see her say that. We see Coulson repeat that to May and then explain why it's so awesome, right? So if we had just heard her say that, we would have had to come to our own conclusions about how it's awesome, right? right. Which we But wouldn't. instead we have Coulson feeding us that, which we might we not. Would. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't. Look at her. Or it, wouldn't, it wouldn't come through as quite so powerful. She is so hurt by the way that her yeah. life has gone. Yeah. It's kind of difficult to look at the way it's been handled and go, yeah, that's right. Boy, they certainly had That's, your best interests at heart. They they really loved me and cared for me and took care of me. You know, all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it, it is a little bit weird. It is. The whole thing is a little bit weird. Um, and making Coulson tell us textually how awesome it is yeah. right you know that's telling us instead of showing us how awesome sky is right um but i do like that kind of thematic yes. statement yes. about you know who do you become how do you respond like how you respond to these things defines who you are who do you become and i think that that is kind of a a thematic um you know resonance that we're going to be hitting all over and over and over again throughout Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Who do you become? Well, and, and you're right about superheroes right. as a whole, mm-hmm. right? We've seen this a lot in the MCU already. 
uh, Nazis happen. You are not prepared to deal with them, Steve. What do you do? How do you, what do you become? Right, you know? right. Um, you are an awful human being who does not care about other humans, Tony Stark. And when that's finally shoved in your face, what kind of person do you become? Right. You know, uh, even with Banner, right? Mm -hmm. Like you accidentally created this giant evil. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> how, how are you going to manage that fella? You know, um, and I think it's why a lot of superheroes get get rooted in a specific moment of tragedy or mm -hmm. or crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so and that's usually when they become the superhero. Right. Or when, right. when that is the thing that sets them on the on the path to being because like Spider-Man has his powers and he has his costume, but he is not a superhero mm -hmm. until he makes the choice that costs Uncle Ben his life. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And then you have like flip that around where you have uh, uh, Bruce Wayne um, who has that tragedy at a very young age. But it's a long time before he actually like closes the loop and becomes a superhero, and like in his own timeline. But it's still, yeah. that's the thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. here's a bunch of horrible stuff. What are you going to do about it? You know? Right. It's making the choice. And I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to with everything, like, especially in narrative, but also like in life, right? Yes. It's all yeah. about what choice do you make? What do you choose to do? You Actions know? are more important than intentions. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 So it's 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 a really interesting thematic question. And I, I kind of like that we have that here because I think this resonates throughout the episodes that we're going to watch. Um, then we get this coda, right, with Quinn, right, mm -hmm. with the, the evil sleazy rich guy, you know, really handy for recurring bad guys is the sleazy rich guy who just will do whatever he wants because he has all the power that comes with all that money, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have Coulson. Right. And this is the thing. Coulson's our good guy. But damn, right. Calling him out in the coda. We will shoot you out of the sky. Yeah. And I'm like, there's that due process we all know and apparently do not care about at all. <laughs> like, I mean, oh, my God. And then, like, let's think about it. Let's shoot the plane out of the sky. That's really great. Quinn's on the plane. You know who else is on the plane? A pilot with kids, you know, a couple of flight attendants who are just there, you know, getting him his scotch. Right. They're completely innocent people so you're gonna kill all of these people just to get to quinn because you're pissed off right that's not a good guy it's not only <laughs> a good not... guy yeah you're a bad agent because yeah. you're right he kills a bunch of innocent people do you know what else goes down with that plane all the intel mm -hmm. in quinn's brain yeah everything like there's so many reasons why this is a bad thing it's also like you do not need to threaten him what you do is stay quiet and chase him, make him think he's safe so he screws up. Um, when you put him on on blast like that, he knows, yeah. you know, he sees you coming, so it's stupid. But on top of it, like, he says that before Quinn, you know, punches him about the, the clairvoyant, before he says the clairvoyant, right? Which, by the way, is also incredibly stupid of Quinn. You kind of want to keep that quiet because you know he's already on the rampage. And if you say, oh, yeah, you know, the guy who wants to know, like, how you died and had all that had you tormented to figure that out. Yeah, I'm working with him. So he says hi. Assuming that Colton is serious about shooting him out of the sky, which right. I find very questionable for a variety of reasons. Right. Mm hmm. 
Assuming that's true, I think Quinn drops that piece of information both mm-hmm. to set up his long-term gambit yeah. and also because it's like, guess what? You will never shoot me out of the sky now. Right, right, right. You need to know what I know about you the You need to know what I know. I guess so. I guess so for Quinn. It's not quite as stupid as it is for Coulson, this whole interaction. But also, like, he's... Okay, so Quinn, like, screwed over these guys and a kid got killed, right? You know, so that happened um quinn also has been he kidnapped franklin hall franklin hall got killed got sucked into the gravitonium right you know yeah. so i mean like there's a lot of bad things that quinn has done but it seems like colson's like anger will shoot you out of the sky is a little bit excessive for what quinn has done so far i mean quinn at this point is a case you know he's like a yeah. person of interest and he's doing bad things and we don't particularly care for him you know, and so, I mean, there's reasons why we're not really that thrilled with him, but it doesn't, it's not personal until he mentions the clairvoyant. So up until then, like Coulson is, is kind of losing his shit. And I don't think we really textually address that very much. We do a little bit. Ward calls it out in Tahiti, but we're, we're really still like supposed to be on his side at this point. Are we supposed to be questioning these things? Cause they seem really highly questionable, but do you think the show wants us to question them? absolutely not right they just wanted to give colson a billy badass moment and us to cruise past it right okay so it's not just me no i don't think so okay because i feel like we are being given you know colson as a textually you know rubber stamped like this is cool this is what he's doing he's not taking anybody's shit anymore right but it just feels wrong and our our lack of concern for the things that um that we are that we should be fighting for the shield should be fighting for you know these these ideals of you know of what is right and what is wrong in 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 dealing with bad guys is that like people get due process they get trials you know we build up evidence and we and granted that's the boring part that we don't want to do we don't have to but the the fact that shield's job should be to get these guys take them out and deliver them into a system that will give them due process. Like that's what shield should be doing. And we seem very unconcerned with any of that. And that's a bad guy thing. You know, that's it's when these boring parts and these frustrating parts of, of, you know, dealing with bad guys comes in. That's the, the boring and the frustrating part. That's the part that matters. That's the part that makes us the good guys, you know? So I think that's the question, right? Is yeah. Shield a law enforcement agency or an espionage organization? It is, you know, it is exactly. espionage <laughs> that is acting like law enforcement. It is well, it is applying espionage tactics to law enforcement, right? Or is it the other way around? I mean, that's the yeah. thing. What are they? And boy, are you going to hear me chat about that question in Tahiti here in a few minutes. But All right. Well, let's move on to tracks so that we can get to Tahiti because I think Tahiti is way. where the big discussion is What happen. exactly is S.H.I.E.L.D.'s mandate? Does S.H.I.E.L.D. even know? Do the writers know? Put a pin in it. Tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Tracks aired on February 4th, 2014, was written by Lauren LaFranc and Rafe Judkins. We last saw that team uh, writing The Hub. Uh, Tracks was directed by Paul A. Edwards. And like Fink with Seeds, this is the solo shield voyage for Edwards. So we're in this point where we're kind of, you know, we're kind of dating. It's kind of like a Tinder thing. We've got a couple of directors coming in. Sometimes we're swiping left. Sometimes we're swiping right. But right now, uh, this is it for Edwards. He gets one date and that's it. Um, but actually, Tracks is one of my favorite episodes 
episodes for all of season one. I really um, like it. There's some really fun, fun stuff happening here. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about, we're going to be talking about the Rashomon elements yes. to uh, tracks a bit. So I want to give a little history on that. Rashomon is a 1950 Akira Kurosawa film that takes us through a series of events in a story from multiple POVs. So you basically see the same events played out over and over, but changed a bit to show us how the elements of the story shift depending on whose eyes we're seeing the story through. Um, and tracks is Rashomon-esque. We uh, don't do the whole thing in complete Rashomon, but we... Um we do kind of go through and tell the same time frame in the story from different perspectives, which is which is kind of fun. Um, but the best example of um, of a Rashomon, you know, TV show is an episode of Leverage called The Rashomon Job, uh, which is the 11th episode of the third season. I highly recommend it. It is a great way for people who don't understand how POV functions in TV and film, where everything seems like it's being told from an impartial viewpoint. But in reality, we are almost always deeply in someone's POV. Um, so it's it's really, and POV, I keep throwing that out. That's point of view. Uh, some people may not know that that's what that stands for, but that stands for point of view. Um, so the Rashomon elements of, um, of tracks has always been one of my favorite things about it, and it makes it a lot of fun. Um, but we have a really interesting narrative structure in that we have five acts in this, um, in this story. The first act is a traditional narrative structure where we jump from group to group without any overlaps in time, right? We're just, we're in a consistent time frame. Um, then we start the second act, right? Um, we have Ward and Coulson's POV um, till they jump out of the train and it disappears. And then we have act three is May's POV. So we see everything through her POV. Um, act four is Simmons, Fitz and Sky. And so we see um, we see from all three of them, even though they are separated at a certain point during that story. And then act five, we come back into real time with the whole team, you know, working together and watching that through. So it is Rashu Rashomon-esque, mm-hmm. Rashomon-esque, but maybe not actual, you know, full-on Rashomon. Um, but it's one of the things that I absolutely love about this episode. So I would like to know how you felt about tracks. I love tracks a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. Good. I love train heists mm-hmm. as a concept. Yes. There is a bunch of spy-fi nonsense in this, like mm-hmm. marking people with your mother's ashes. No, I love it. <laughs> There, I mean, there's a bunch of really great character yeah. stuff about how everybody kind of prepared or didn't for yes. this thing. Mm-hmm. I love Rashomon myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually having this conversation uh, with a friend of mine the other day, and he said, what is that? And I was like, well, let me tell you how you're going you're gonna to come over here, and I'm going <laughs> to hand it to you off my shelf. <laughs> and then you're going to know, right? Yeah. Um, and I love your leverage comparison for two reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I love leverage. Yes, it's a great show. But two things that that leverage does, like one is you could have got this feel Mm -hmm. with the flashbacks on leverage from literally any episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then they get real meta with it. Yes. (laughs) In the Rashomon Mm -hmm. job. The other thing that um, makes me think of leverage in terms of this episode that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hasn't done as hard as leverage does, Mm -hmm. but they do here, is that five-act structure. Leverage is always a five-act structure because that's where the commercials are. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know there are always commercials in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I don't notice that hard structure. They don't hit it quite as hard yes. um, as as Leverage does. Leverage um, has this tight Swiss watch structure to every episode. I yeah. mean, they really do that, you know, um, and, and S.H.I.E.L.D. does that to a certain degree, but it's by no means as it's it's like the difference between 
a clock in a room that you can see the second hand ticking and a, and a clock in the room that you can hear it ticking like in yeah. leverage you hear it. it's click 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 and it always has your attention you know yes. um so uh, leverage is fantastic and when i try to explain pov in tv and film to my students uh sometimes they're like well it's it's not it's an impartial viewpoint because we're the camera and the camera i'm like no way is the camera impartial the camera we're always telling a story from particular pov mm -hmm. sometimes it's a little a little more difficult to tell than like when you're reading a novel right and you're in somebody's pov and you're hearing their thoughts you know you're in deep pov whether you're in third person or first if you're in first person you know whose pov you're in right, right? Yeah. but everything that you see is always flavored by the perspective of the narrator of or in TV and film, whoever owns that scene, right? You know, somebody owns that scene. We're seeing it from somebody's POV. And a lot of times you can tell who that is just simply because who's in every shot, mm -hmm. right? You know, that's whose POV we're in for the particular scene. Um, so when we're in like May's experience, right? She's the one who's in every shot. So we know we're seeing all of this from her POV. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. It's really fun. I love seeing that kind of overlap, you know, in, in, time and what everybody's experiencing and we sort of stutter through it like we go through and we get to where they're thrown off the train and there's a flash and the train is suddenly gone you know then we come to see that that's where where may finds them and they're frozen yeah. you know so it's just their perspective um really like wonderful stuff going into every um every element and and kind of revealing what was happening at the same time and resolving mysteries and setting up new ones you know so it's it's really super fun like when may comes in throws the knife in the back of the guy that they thought was their ally mm -hmm. and it's just like <laughs> wheels up in five yeah right? <laughs> you know? she's badass no i love all of that like every mm -hmm. new scene reframes everything in every other scene yeah right and which I is mean, really fantastic some mm -hmm. in bigger ways some in smaller ways but it really just is consistently illuminated without yeah. any of the individual scenes also being undermined. Like everybody still yeah. does the smart thing in their scene. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work out because of some element they don't know. Let's go talk to yeah. these people that know that element who then have a problem for a different element they don't know. It's so good. Right. So good. No, it's really, it's nicely put together. And I like that we've got the team kind of broken up into all of these different um, these different teams, yeah. sub teams, right? So we've got Colson and Simmons, which is adorable the minute simmons says i memorized everything <laughs> i was like oh my god and when she says past events like that unfortunate incident at the hub have shown me i'm not good at improvisation i do however excel at preparation <laughs> it's so great i mean it's it's just, a great so example wonderful. of her trying to play to her strengths and it's still not yes. quite working i know but she doesn't give up man she has that whole thing and when she yells at him she's like you never had time for her but you made time for your work and your prostitutes and colson's like prostitutes plural really we had to <laughs> i love that it is so adorable and then we've got Fitz and Sky working together and I love this like she's pretending to be his girlfriend right but we're not getting any of that like kind of gross you know Fitz pining for yes, Sky like she that, pretends this would be awful I know but it was so great because they're not doing that and I love when she does her terrible Scottish <laughs> accent he's like okay American then right <laughs> 
American it is then. So good. American yeah. it is. I know. It's just, it's adorable. I love the way they work together. I like when we shake it up, right? Fitz and Simmons are usually working together as a team, but we split up Fitz and Simmons, you know, and we're like, you know, moving the the groups around, which I really, really like. Um, so it was just, it was just so much fun seeing all of these elements kind of work together. And I really, really enjoyed that. We also had an opportunity to have or to see Ward and May have a personal mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. No, that was really interesting. And it refers point, back. You know? Yeah. But- yeah, no. It's really what she's like, I told Colson that we had sex and she's just like, You did? <laughs> Wait. She, what damn, you know? <laughs> It was so cute. And she's like, nah, it's fine. And she just climbs out the window. (laughs) Yeah, May is just not here for actual conversation, which is fine. But Ward can just go ahead and Mm -hmm. stop being surprised. Yeah, exactly. Like you think he's he's met her before, you know, right. he knows it. But uh, but, you know, and briefly referencing back to seeds, because it's something I forgot to bring up. When we were talking about seeds when she tells Colson, like when they're in the car together and she's all chatty and he's like, what's wrong? You're talking. you know. Yeah. And uh, and she says, well, you know, and he says, I just don't like all these secrets. And then it's that moment where she's like, well, Ward and I have been having sex. And he's like, nope, let's go. You know, and he completely cuts her off. Uh-huh. So she doesn't know if he heard her or if he cares or if it's a problem or whatever. It's really kind of nice to see May on that personal back foot because we don't get that very often. But then here we are in tracks and she is completely on, on top of it again. She's mm-hmm. just like, nope, this is how I told him and that's it and that's done and we're not having a discussion and no, I'm not going to ask you how you feel about that because I don't care. I'm going to climb out the window. You know? <laughs> we're on the clock, mister. Exactly. We got shit to do. So, um, so it was really, it's, it's cute. And I like that, you know, um, and May, of course, being isolated on her own throughout this episode, uh, for a good chunk of the episode, while uh, we end up shifting teams, Simmons goes and joins Fitz and Sky, and then uh, Coulson and Ward end up working together. It's kind of fun seeing seeing all of these people kind of work around and evolve and, and work together throughout this this episode, which I think is really great. Yeah, it really brings out a lot of character stuff that we wouldn't normally get to see, but is still very consistent. Everybody is Mm -hmm. who they ought to be in this episode, which is a nice change after Seeds where they're not themselves as much. Yes, yes. And again, also from Tahiti where nobody actually does anything that they would actually do. We'll get to it in a minute. But, (laughs) you know, it is really great to see this different side of of Fitz with Sky. Mm -hmm. And I actually really started to like sky here this is it this is when it turns yeah i mean i like sky i listen i'm starting to like sky let's not get excited (laughs) this is when i start to like sky and because i have more of a relationship you know with her because i've seen the whole show um for me it's this is when i really start to enjoy her i i really liked her still being her but also slightly more competent like she's clearly been training with some spy stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but she's still her when she's just like bad at scottish accents okay american right you know (laughs) okay and and not to jump too far ahead but just while we're talking about how much i actually appreciated sky for a couple seconds at the end when she's Mm -hmm. like no this is the thing i gotta go do the thing give me the night night gun right like neither one of us are actually prepared for this but i am more prepared than you are let me right. go do the thing. 
And we're going to do it. And he also can, you know, can disable the cars. So his job is to yeah. disable the, the yeah. vehicles. And then she's going to go in and check it Let's all out. Let's remember we and, all actually um, have roles yeah. on this team. And while neither one of us is pleased with how this particular mission is going. <laughs> right. I am definitely right. but the you one know, who has to go in. And, right. and she never says this, but also we can kind of go back to our first Quinn appearance. She did this mm -hmm. and did a decent job of it when she wasn't as... Right. When she trained. was less yeah. trained than she is now. And she just, you know, and so basically like she's been there, she's dealt with Quinn, you know, she's the one who has experience with Quinn. And so she goes in. But I also think it's really interesting how when they're there, it's not about the mission. It's not about we, this is the mission. We're going to do it. It's about Colson wouldn't want us to let him go. Colson wants this guy. I'm going to get him for Colson. Yeah. And so there is that relationship you see between Sky and Colson um, at the end of Seeds when he's talking about how, you know, wonderful she was and how she turned this around. She restored his faith in humanity, all that kind of stuff. This deep father daughter relationship that we have developing, you know, between Colson and Sky, she does this because of him, not because of the mission, not because of S.H.I.E.L.D., but because this is what Coulson wants, and I'm going to get him what he wants, because her loyalty is to Coulson, not to S.H.I.E.L.D. I definitely see that they want me to buy into that. <laughs> so, good job there. Um, right. I'm not quite mm -hmm. wholeheartedly buying in, but I, I see what they want me to do, and I'm prepared to go along for the ride. Mm -hmm. All right, all right. As long as you know, right? This, is, this saying, is what they want. Maybe they're pushing honestly, it a little, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to think I'm being overly critical. I want you to tell. No, okay. Do you actually think they've earned that relationship at this point? No. Okay. Okay. No, not yet. They're, no, they're it, they're level jumping the relationship. I mean, let's face it. You know, it's it's, it's been a couple sure. of dates, and they're already you know planning the marriage or whatever. But but the thing is that like I I know that that's the nature of this relationship. That's where this relationship is going, and we do kind of we do kind of force it through these through the arc of these three episodes. By the end of these three episodes, we are. At that point, whether we've earned it or not, that's where we are. Yes. You know, we've just got to, you just got to be like, well, this, we're here. You know, this is it. Like, um, that this is very much, she is his daughter as far as like, you know, all of the emotional investment and everything is concerned. Um, but we get this really neat moment when she goes in, you know, she, um, finds Mike Peterson, you know, in the, in the, um, hyperbaric chamber. Yes. Quinn comes in, you know, his goon comes in, right. Everybody's got a gun. It's all crazy. Um, and Mike comes out and gets the leg and he's got the orders in his eyeball and like all this kind of stuff that we're seeing. And it's it's so interesting because he is he, you can see that he's going to do as little bad as he can possibly do right. while still preserving his own right. Because there's this thing where Quinn's like, oh, would you shoot me? You know, he's like testing him out. Mm -hmm. You know, would you kill me? No. And then he's like, well, would you kill her? And he's like, those are not my orders. Yeah. Right? So he is there to do the orders and that's it. And he's not going to do anything else for these people, you know, which is, which is good. But it also like, you look at how a lot of what we talk about in in season one of Agents of Shield is this kind of you know um, reverberation of trauma, mm -hmm. right? That there's trauma that you experience, and then you're never not traumatized, 
you know yes. you, it's always it changes who you are it changes how you see the world it changes how you interact with the world and here we have mike peterson who has been like repeatedly traumatized you know he has been a tool for other people while he's trying desperately to be a hero he just gets used he gets abused he's lost his leg he's been horribly burnt he has this eyeball put in i mean my god he's been through so much and you can kind of see this part of him that he's shut down like emotionally he's shut down you know because mm -hmm. how else still... is he going get through how else how else are you going to get through that i mean my god you know what they put this poor guy through you know um but at the same time he's not cold you know, he sees Sky and he's like, those, those aren't my orders. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. like, he's not going to do it. Um, and so we come back to this, this question, right? You know, the question is, how do you respond? Mm -hmm. Who do you become? And he has no control over anything. But what he does have control is maybe not what he can do, but what he won't do. Yes. You know? Um, so I, I find that really interesting and just heartbreaking. It is so heartbreaking to see him, especially after that last time we saw him. He was so earnest. He was so excited. Did I beat Captain America? He just wanted to be a hero for his mm -hmm. son, you know, and it is so heartbreaking to see them do this to him. And then, you know, we have him leave and go deal with the Italian people who, you know, who the clairvoyant is not happy with. And he, of course, you know, murders all of them. And then Quinn shoots Sky in the gut grabs her holds her and shoots her again at close range that is a horrifying moment yeah that was pretty cold it was pretty tough to watch yeah you know and when she's on the ground and when she's crawling to the door and she's calling for help as best she can like that's a really like visceral i, I thought it was powerfully done you know and he's so cold about it it's so creepy the way that he shoots her the second time um it's just really he's awful he's almost like the guy in the lab in that moment you know like um mm -hmm. we've mm -hmm. seen him be real slick and be very yeah. sort of egocentric and things like that but we have in the next episode we have i think garrett say something like he never struck me as a trigger man like quinn wouldn't yeah. do his own dirty work but here he is right the clairvoyant has told him he has to do it and he kind of doesn't like sky already. So he decides to go ahead and like right. make it an opportunity to see if he's that kind of guy. And he wants to be that right. kind of guy that I'm backfilling a whole bunch, but it's kind of one of those, like he just gets so chilly so quick that I'm like, Oh, yeah. he's testing. Himself. You kind of like, am it. I this person? Right. And then he's like, cool stuff. Right. I am right. Yeah. Like he seems to actually have a taste for it once he does it. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't seem to feel bad about it at all. He kind of enjoys it. It's a little sickening when he holds her, you know, and he pats her hair. Oh, and then yeah. like that's that's a little gross. It's, it kind of feels like he's getting off on it a bit. And it's it's really disturbing. Like that whole thing is really disturbing. It's it goes so dark, you know, when she gets shot. Um, and then we have, you know, this this rush. Coulson finds her. And Coulson is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Coulson has been shivved through the heart with, a, you know, an Asgardian scythe, right? You yeah. know, like he has seen some shit in his day, but he loses it when he finds her. Like the way that he just falls apart when he finds her. I mean, that is you see that this is incredibly personal, that she is for him. You know, she's his daughter as far as he's concerned. 
you know, she's his daughter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that relationship, while maybe we haven't built it, you know, as well, like at this point, this is, this is where we are. Like, this is the point where I'm like, okay, this is where we are. I accept it. This is their relationship, you know? Yes. Um, I'm totally fine with it. I just wanted yes. to make sure that you didn't think I was being too. No, critical. I don't think you're being unfair. I don't think you're being unfair. I just like at this point, like, okay, we're here. Right. Like, right. this is where we are. So I'm just accepting it. But yeah, I don't think that they, they did particularly great job at earning that. Um, but we, but we're here. But so I like, I like we it just kind of rushed here. Through. Yeah, because I mm-hmm. I hope that it knits Sky more directly like into the team and maybe makes me care mm-hmm. about her more. Yeah. Um, yeah. If Coulson can I care think... about her and if somebody can give her something to do, which they did in this yeah. episode, right? So they did in this yeah. episode, and this for me is the turning point with Sky. So we'll see as we move forward in the season if that is also a turning point for you. I want it to be. We'll see. This is this is the point where I where I'm in with Sky. Like I'm I'm okay. We we're good. Um, but it is because of all of the things that happen here and through the next couple of episodes. So um, so anyway, we get this coda where we uh we actually see like the Deathlock um technology in his leg right we see um mike peterson putting the the note up can i see my mm-hmm. son you know and he can't um and it's it's really an interesting thing we have this question of he is he wants to be a hero so bad he can't be a hero he's a tool for the bad guy but he's not responsible for anything that he does like while he's under this you know while it's it's do this or i kill you right well, you know that's the interesting or i hurt question, your son isn't it? It's mm-hmm. not quite as cut and dried as a lot of the doing evil under someone else's influence at, that mm-hmm. you usually talk about. It's right. not quite as mm-hmm. cut and dried as that. I mean, he does have a son to take care of, but at the mm-hmm. he could also just disobey and let them kill him and then he's not doing them anymore. Right, but his son, they have his son. Can I see my son? They have him. No, I think he's safe. Really? Because yeah. he has the note, can I see my son? He's at the playground. Oh. I think I think that Ace is back with his sister. Okay. Because Ace was last with uh with Sky, with the agents. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, how safe is the kid? So he was is, asking is if he could question, go see his right? son as opposed to can you show me Will my you son? Show me him, Which is yeah. what I read that as. And I was like, oh, okay. But he was but he was I at think- the playground. His son wasn't at the playground. No, I don't think so. Okay, I think he right. was having a like wistful. Right. That's what that's what I how I read that. But I read that as, you know, you have my son. Will you let me see him? Well, am I wrong? I think the last time we saw Ace, he was Mike he was, was giving Ace to Sky and saying, take care of my son yeah. and running away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they did. Okay. They did. But I mean, they got him from the sister once. So, I mean, who the hell knows? I don't know. I kind of thought that they were holding yeah. him. But at any rate, they can. There's no guarantee they won't get to Ace. If yeah, it's true. There is a, you know, I'm there sure is a good amount of leverage there. Yeah. It's just interesting. A lot of times, I mean, without going too far down the rabbit trail, mm-hmm. a lot of times this is a conversation that you and Dr. Kelly Jones are having about Angel Yep. Mm-hmm. on Still Dead. It's right. a conversation we're going to have about James Buchanan Barnes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, you know, it's a thing that's going to keep coming up, but it's not quite as cut and dried. Right. As we, which is good, which is fun. Like it's a, it's a similar but different conversation to the one that we'll have about Bucky, which it's is a, awesome. Yeah. It's a really crunchy space. And I think mm-hmm. that those are really interesting questions to ask, but that is down the road. Let's go ahead and move into discussion <laughs> that we've all been waiting for this entire time. The discussion of 
Tahiti. Tahiti aired March 4th, 2014 and was written by executive producer and sort of unofficial, sort official showrunner Jeffrey Bell. Uh, Bell does not get a creative by credit for the show, but he's commonly treated and referred to as a showrunner um, at this point. Tahiti was directed by Bobby Roth, who directed The Hub, and will be back to direct three more episodes over the next year of the show. So here we are at Tahiti, and I kind of feel like I just want to let you go. Like, just go. <laughs> You've been holding yourself um, okay. back this whole time about Tahiti. Go. go I am go. going to set a thesis. Okay. And then I think we should go down your your notes and I'll okay. just I'll just go along with you. All right. Okay. Here is the thesis. Mm-hmm. If Tahiti had a face, I would punch it. Okay. <laughs> Tahiti is um terrible. Just, okay. I, okay, I don't hate it as much as you do. There are it's things in this awful. episode that I like. Nothing <laughs> happens for any reason. And and the stuff that does happen is kind of highly suspect. Super morally know? questionable. Super morally questionable. All right, so let's start with that, right? And Coulson's ethically on the questionable. Warpath. Like, it's both. It's questionable in a million different ways. All right, let's walk through it. Um, when we get to the stuff that I like, I'm going to call it out. But But overall, I think I'm on your side with this. I just didn't, like, I wasn't as horribly horribly frustrated and furious by it as as you were um but we've got colson on the warpath right ward calls it out early colson's got this personal vendetta that's why we're going after quinn this way um you know we have this moment the doctor comes in and says you need to get in touch with their family colson says we're her family you know um and that is where we make textual what they've been building up to in the last couple of episodes which is this very strong father-daughter relationship between colson and sky um I'm kind of imagining so, everybody else in the room making sideways ga- glances like, are we? Because I don't really even like her that much. Oh, no. they do. Simmons loves Sky. Okay. We see the Simmons loves Sky. That's right. Sky. They had bad girl shenanigans. They had bad girl shenanigans. Ward is her S.O. May is indifferent. May is May. You know, <laughs> the way that a cat is indifferent, right? You know, I mean, it's just May's kind okay, of Okay, fair enough. Right? I take it all back. Okay. So anyway. I take anyway. that bit of snark back. That was unfair. Yes. Okay, so we have Quinn shot Sky. That's it. Coulson's going after Quinn. It doesn't matter. He says, um, if she doesn't make it, and then we, you know, leave this hanging there, like Coulson's going to kill Quinn. And once again, due process, I do not think it means what you think it means. Like, you are supposed to be the good guys. You are supposed to be fighting for principles and morals and rightness. And I get. I get that Quinn did something you're feeling and taking very personally. Totally get that. But that's exactly why you should not be the one going after Quinn at this point. You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we also have this thing where death is unacceptable, but only some people's deaths. We have death all the time <laughs> oh, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's fine. just you wait till the end of the damn episode where it becomes extremely questionable whose deaths are acceptable <laughs> and whose aren't. Oh, my God. And whose are not. Yeah, we are definitely going to have that discussion, and I will not disagree with you at all on that one. Um, but Coulson died, right? Coulson got shipped through the heart in the Avengers. Fury brought him back, okay? Because Fury could not accept that particular death. Tons of people died. Tons of people died. But Coulson, no, that's where I draw the line, right? So here we have Sky is dying, right? And Coulson says, no, we're going to bring her back. We're going to find whatever this technology was that brought me back, even though he knew what it had done to right. him. And even though during the process of it, he begged for them to let him die, right? He knows all of this, but he's so overrun by grief 
that he can't think straight, which is why you don't. This is this is where Fury comes in and grounds Coulson and takes over the operation. Right. Um, this guy in this very personal space running this operation. That is not how any of this is supposed to go. Um, so we get to this extremely extra legal rogue rogue outfit kind of thing going on may beats the shit out of quinn and quinn's like but you can't and i'm like no quinn apparently they can they don't care you know the rules of of law do not apply in this space except when they claim they do lonnie except when they yes exactly but this is the thing i think that we are supposed to continue to see shield as the good guys fighting for all that is good and right in the world while they're doing all of this stuff that we, I think, are not supposed to question. Which is a spectacularly interesting space. Yeah. If that's what the show is doing, BT dubs, that is not what the show is doing. Right. I think the show is not deliberately doing that. I think the show is is saying this is all okay, even though it is like, blatantly not okay it is blatantly not okay we even have Fitz and simmons right it is illegal for us to read this report if you give us this report you are making us break the law and colson's like whatevs here you go read it you know (laughs) um please continue exactly so i mean we are full on going rogue in this episode which would be fine if we textually acknowledged that they were going rogue that it's not okay we have ward ward of a ward of all people seeing what this is saying this is personal he's gone too far if ward is your voice of reason things have gone wrong the the world is ending yes exactly (laughs) what kind of moral compass are we using if ward is pointing true north friends i don't know it is it is by the way okay Whatever it is, it doesn't trip him up much. He pretty yep. much does everything he's asked in this episode. No. So. He, and the thing is, he he puts the question out there very lightly, and that's it. That's all we get. We get that at the beginning from him. We get that at the end from him, and that is it. Um, so we're really not. We're it's it's like we're saying, oh yeah, you might have a problem with this, but Ward is the only one who has a problem with this, and we all know that he's like kind of useless when it comes to this sort of thing. So that's okay. <laughs> like, I I don't. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fly. Is everything what I'm May say. It does doesn't fly. should mm-hmm. have been done by Ward and everything yeah. Ward does should have been done by May. Yeah. Yes. It's like they absolutely. got their scripts mixed up. May should be the one calling this out because May is the one who can see everything and she is more emotionally detached from everything. But anyway. Ward should also be the one who goes and beats nine shades of shit out of Quinn. Yes. That, that would be a Ward sense. thing to do because Ward is not the guy who sees the right and the wrong of it ward is the guy who goes in and does the thing without really worrying about whether it's right or wrong you know so yeah all of that and the thing is that colson i understand that colson is compromised but we need to really textually acknowledge that colson is compromised and that what he's doing is not okay but instead it's like fitz and simmons you know this is illegal you're actually asking us to break the law and we could lose our jobs okay as long as you say it's fine then it's fine cool, cool, you know cool. it's just it's like one of these things where it just doesn't matter. Like Maybe the they'll make us and... cellmates. Right. They cool. might. They might. You never know. Um, so anyway, then we get this introduction of Garrett, right? So Garrett comes in. He's kind of the shadow Coulson, right? Coulson says to him, <laughs> you're the worst at following orders. And I'm thinking only second to you, Coulson. Because you, don't really, 
you're in, not really in, an order follower even, either. In comparison, but right now, the kettle black. I think no, because we see Garrett. Like Garrett's the one who threatens to throw Quinn off the plane at a certain point. Like Garrett's Garrett has absolutely no qualms about this. But here's the thing. I think Garrett is supposed to be Shadow Coulson. He's there to show us how how bad, like what bad looks like, so that when we look at Coulson, we say, oh, no, comparatively, like Coulson's okay. But what Didn't it really should be, what it really should be is that Garrett is the path that Coulson's on. Yeah. Right? That we should have had a moment where we're like, okay, what Garrett, like Garrett crossing the line and Coulson recognizing that and seeing himself clearly in that moment, that's what the the purpose that Garrett should have served. But he didn't. Instead, Garrett's like, Garrett is where you're going. And isn't it cool that he also goes rogue? So you're not the only one. You know, that's kind of the message that I get from this, that Garrett's supposed to be the guy who comes in and gets the job done, regardless of the moral implications. But the whole point of Coulson is that he's the one who's supposed to be our moral compass. Now, here we have a situation, right, where he can't do that because this is his, you know, not literal, but textual daughter, yeah. right? You know, that's, that's been hurt. This is where the rest of the team steps in and sidelines Colson for his own damn yes. good because he is going to ruin. And instead, they follow him blindly. Oh, it's illegal, but you say it's okay? Well, then it's fine. I don't mind going. To, I, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure we're not going to go to jail. Let's just read this report. Like, all of these things. Let's beat up Quinn. You know, even though that is absolutely not going, that's not going to do anything for you, you know. Um, So all of this stuff gets to be a little bit too much. But I have to say the thing that gives me joy in my heart is Agent Antoine Triplett, (laughs) also known as Trip, who I love, who isn't like, and I got to say, isn't in here very much. We don't see a whole lot from him. Um, but I have such love for him because of, you know, the mild spoilers. He's he's going to be around for a little while. Um, and I absolutely adore that character. So it was really fun. I was very excited to see Trip again. I think that's part of what I love about Tahiti. <laughs> it's just that he shows up. I feel up. like Trip is here to let us know that they could have made a more interesting choice than Ward and didn't. And didn't. No, for real. Because Trip, Trip would have been great. a much better, much better in that space. Um, but I love this moment. He comes in. He's like, how did Coulson swing such a sweet ride? And Ward says he died. And Trip goes, that's yeah. tight. Yeah. <laughs> like, full respect. Cool. Resurrection. <laughs> Dope. Got a cool plane out of it. I like that. No questions. Not asking any questions. Whatever. I also love this whole thing where he's flirting with Simmons. Oh, yeah. It's like. He's known her for four seconds, but he's like, well, I would want you on my side, you know, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, all right, you've known her for four seconds. But then again, I'm like, I'm a completely straight woman. I would flirt with Simmons. I mean, you know, I get it. He's Trip's human, also got, you know, right? like, respectful game. No, I love that. That's my favorite thing. He doesn't say how beautiful she is. He doesn't say anything about that. He talks about who she is as a human being and that that's what impresses him about her. I love love that this is part of the reason why i love trip is that he comes in he starts working it you know and he's being super charming and he's obviously very sweet to look at and he knows it but it's he's flirting with her about who she is not about how she looks which doesn't happen to women a lot so i mean that's really nice i loved that yeah i mean again he's telling us that we should have had him instead of Ward all this time. Mm-hmm. Right. No, absolutely. I would have loved to have had him instead of Ward all this time. But, you know. Unintended yeah. consequences in Tahiti. I, there really are. There really are. <laughs> but we get this interesting, like, you know, we keep talking about the, the power of choice and narrative. And it is absolutely one of the most powerful things. And here we have this moment where Quinn says he shot Sky because the clairvoyant could see everything except how 
Coulson was saved. So now he wants to watch Coulson use that to save Sky. So Sky was deliberately shot and deliberately injured so that Coulson could save her and the clairvoyant could find out how, right? Um, so Coulson has this choice that's that's textually sent him, you know, either either give the clairvoyant what he wants or let Sky die. And Coulson, of course, doesn't take a second to like consider that at all. He's going to save Sky. Then when he goes in and discovers that it's alien, you know, he sees the the half a blue body, you know, which we'll be discussing it at great length in the future. Um, <laughs> he sees half this alien body that that's where this miracle drug came from and tries to stop them from saving her. It is only at that point, not knowing what he went through, not remembering begging to die that makes him not it's it's when he sees the alien blood and for me i'm not sure that seeing that it comes from an alien source is less disturbing than the memory of begging to die as far as consequences for Scott. okay yeah let's talk about that mm-hmm. let's do it colson yes already knows that there are aliens yes colson already knows that he's been resurrected with shady technology yes Colson planned to save her regardless. I, I don't I don't buy his shocked reaction at all. Which part of this is shocking mm-hmm. to you? You know all of yes. this already. Yes. I think the most shocking right. part of it is that apparently there's an acronym for Tahiti. Oh, yes. I, mean, <laughs> I can't think of anything else that would actually make him react. I mean, it's just, it's just nonsense. And and then why yes. do you decide no, which negates this very Interesting set. Uh, I mean, in as much as anything is any good in Tahiti, <laughs> which it isn't. But well, trip, trip is good. Trip is the silver trip lining. Trip is good. Trip is good. Like, why? What is this reaction? It does. It's not good. It's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yeah. doesn't get us anything. Like, like the mm-hmm. no, don't do it. Well, then have something bad happen to her right then. Right. Or mm-hmm. Don't change your mind. Just be like. Well, uh, I have uh, broken a whole host of federal laws and murdered some dudes who were just doing their jobs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, those are S.H.I.E.L.D. agents at that facility, and they're just dead. Like, we're not using night-night guns or anything no. on these guys who are just doing their damn job. I, yeah. They may not even be S.H.I.E.L.D. guys. They just may be, like, really highly paid night watchmen. Security yeah. guards, right? But whoever they are, like, doing their jo- you yeah. should. If those writers had any kind of courage at all, there would have been those guys' blood splattered across pictures of their wife and children. Honestly, right. <laughs> exactly. If you're gonna kill these guys, because here we are, like, desperately trying to save Sky, right? So the value of a single human life, we are seeing that value, right? Well, that's the theory. We're treating these guys, right. But we're treating these guys like nothing. And the thing is, we have a plane full of dendrotoxin, right? We have these night-night guns that we choose to use at different times. But in this moment, these guys die brutally, right? And that kind of undermines this whole thing about the 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 this one human life is so valuable that Colson is going to betray all of his you know all of his values everything that he is right he's going completely off book right um so then we so casually treat these guys 
right? And we see them. They have like this little interaction. They're like, well, you know, we don't want to kill him, but he didn't They're know the answer humans. to the question. So, you know, we got to do. You see them teasing. You see them like, they, I, honestly, I saw them as kind of a couple. They were sort of flirting. He's like, you want to take left? Oh, I'll take delightful. left. I'll take right. Like I thought, I thought they were maybe, you know, just like, just like this, this couple that had had a job that they could work together to stay connected. You know, they've probably got a puppy at home. Um, you made it worse. I know, right? But what I'm saying is, is that these guys are also human. They're just doing their job. They're not evil. They don't work for the bad guy. They're just guarding a facility, you know? And so the idea of killing him. And then the moment where the one guard is dying on the floor and he says, I've seen you, you know? Or was that before he got shot? No. He I, don't, was I don't remember. He was when he was dying on the floor. Do I know you? Oh, Do I know up. you? Right. So right. And up. so he was there when Colson was and, and none of this wakes Colson. So like all of this stuff that Colson has done textually, we're rubber stamping it. I think implicitly yeah. in the text, we're rubber stamping it and saying it's all OK. But then he has this moment where he sees half of this alien body. And instead of it being like a moment where like, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, especially if the team tried to stop him all along the way, like really fought yeah. him saying, you're going crazy. You're doing this. You're doing too much. What have I done? What have I done? Like in that moment that it's just the thing that pushes him back into reason. So you could have a lot of the things that you have in Tahiti without it being so, so like bad for Coulson as a character for like making him into truly no better than any of the bad guys i'm gonna disagree right? with you that you can have anything in tahiti that is good that isn't named triplet okay no but let's just say we do this stuff in tahiti right we show but we explicitly show that colson is getting out of yes. line may tries to stop him ward tries to stop him you know like sky can't because she's dying but simmons and fitz are like no we're not going to read this thing you're asking us to do something illegal we're not going to do it right you know like and then he goes like further and further and further out then garrett comes in and garrett just encourages them right garrett is the dark place that Coulson is going toward is going to continue to be yeah. right so then we have Garrett come in like you can fix this and keep almost all of it well but you just have to textually explicitly acknowledge a that Coulson is doing bad things for bad reasons and b that there's consequence for that you have to have consequence would, and we don't have it any would make that. so much more sense if the mm -hmm. dead security guard guy were the thing that shook Coulson yeah that makes sense yeah but why would we have anything that makes sense in this episode where everything is terrible? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to a lot of this stuff is is really, really bad. Um, I, I oh, OK, I like. Are, OK, here's what I like. Are you ready for me to go down my bullet points of nitpicks and hate? No, discussion? give me just one moment because I'm going to tell you the things okay, that I like. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I like trip. All right. I like yes. the emotional through line for how much Sky means to Coulson. Um, how much yes. Sky means to to Simmons when she's telling Trip about you know we're so different but you know but yet she's so yes. she's like I like that moment I like when um, when Simmons goes off to get the um, the medical supplies and the Fitz comes in and she cries in his arms like I like those moments I like the emotional through line of these moments um, you know I, I even like the moment with Ward where May says don't blame yourself and he says I'm not blaming myself like. That's yes, 
call out Colson. Somebody needs to call out Colson. I'm disappointed it's Ward, but at least it's done, right? You know, <laughs> at least we know yeah. that these things are are Colson's fault for going it's so incredibly off book with Quinn, even before Sky got shot. It was his obsession with Quinn that got Sky to to do this for him any in the first place. She wouldn't have gone in otherwise, you know? Um so there's there's a whole bunch of things. Colson should be wrestling with that. We should see that. But I do like those moments. I do like the fact that we give Colson a choice. I don't think we do it very well, but I always love a choice in narrative. So those are the things that I like about Tahiti. Go ahead and rip it apart because it's going to be fun. (laughs) That is a good point. All of those things are good. Mm -hmm. Um, It is difficult for me to keep my mind on them. Sure. It's like signal to noise ratio. (laughs) Fair enough. Absolutely. I concede that point. The noise is very The noise is a lot. Terrible. All right. I mean... There's all kinds of stuff with like we've talked about May and Ward just switch scripts. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Right. I really don't like how much again, I, I don't want to beat this horse, but it's worth saying. I don't like how fuzzy we are on Shield's mandate. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if they are a law enforcement agency, Quinn is going home. Yeah. Yeah. They have beat him. His recorded confession is completely inadmissible. Right. Mm-hmm. He walks. Mm-hmm. Now. It also, also, in the year of our Lord, 2018. <laughs> okay, well, this was 2014. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, you know what? Too, fine, I will let them have that. <laughs> How many seasons of 24 had we had by that point? Yeah, quite a lot. I am quite over lot. torture yeah. as a useful device for yes. gaining intelligence. It's yes. not one in the real world, mm-hmm. and it is actively destructive to portray it as one in your fictional world. Yep. Mm-hmm. That is awful. It's yes. awful, especially, especially when no one reacts to this mm-hmm. and then it works. Oh, I'm so upset about it. I do yeah. not like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's kind of big stuff. The virtual database is dumb as hell <laughs> on literally it looks so every much like level. The price is right. When they start swinging it, it looks like the price is right wheel, like the movements that they're making just made oh me my think God. of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so that cracked me up. But yes, it is. The, why, you can go on a computer and hack into a database. If you have access to a database, you can go on a computer and get yeah, access they gave to it. Like, why they do we gave need them this in 3D? Access. Just type it. Why do we need it in 3D? Right, exactly. No, the reason we need it in 3D is so that we can have this dumbass reveal of a map. <laughs> Who stores a map like this? Yeah. Why? None of this makes any sense. It's just dumb. It's mm-hmm. dumb. And it's because we needed to give Fitz and Simmons something to do. Yeah. But, let, oh, no. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Yes. Ward and Trey. This is actually mm-hmm. useful to me. It's stupid, but it's going yeah. to wind up fixing a world building issue in the larger MCU. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ward and Trip have a fight on the airplane because they are concerned about the lengths of their penises. There is no other explanation <laughs> for this. Which means that everybody in operations is utterly convinced that they're James Bond. Yes. And now I understand two important things. This is why Fury is always so cranky. Right. These are the assholes he has to deal with all the time. Mm-hmm. Also, no wonder Hawkeye looks like a wunderkind. <laughs> Because compared to Fucko the Clown and his sidekick over here, he looks like a genius. Oh, God. Well, I mean, it's, you know, like Ward is, uh, Garrett used to be Ward's SO, no, right? Trip is now working with him. Walk away. 
It's not going to fix this. <laughs> All right. Fair they enough. are literally having a conversation about the decor in a bar. Yeah. And Garrett's not even that serious at mm-hmm. that point. And yeah. Tripp's still like, yeah, well, let's, <laughs> I guess we're going to mix it up. It's like, why don't right. you two just kiss? Because I think that's what's really going on here. <laughs> okay. That would have been fun. That would have been interesting. <laughs> Okay. All right. So what else? What else you got? I I'm going to try really hard to get over it after this episode because I'm going to agree with you that whether I think they earned it or not, we're here. But I Mm -hmm. really need them to come up with a better hook for me than endangering Sky because I super don't care. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, these Mm -hmm. other questions and conversations that you mentioned that would have been interesting might have helped. You know? Yeah. What Mm -hmm. path are we on? No, we're on this path and it's great. It's a highway to hell. We. You know. Which we've we've kind of already talked about, like, just how many laws and protocols are broken Mm -hmm. in these two poor murdered guys that were just... Yeah. These two lovers. Right. (laughs) Just trying to work a job together, spend that time together, keep their relationship going, and they get murdered in the face. And they are doing the right thing. Yes. They are... I mean, in as much as following protocol should be the right thing for S.H.I.E.L.D. agents most of the time. Mm Mm-hmm. They're doing their actual job. Everybody yeah. else should be horrified at what they have done. And then yeah. it's like, oh, oh, do we have non-lethal weapons? Tough luck for a these two. A ton of non-lethal weapons. A Ugh. literal ton of non-lethal weapons. I just. And there's no reason for this. There's no, there's no, I'm not. Yeah. There's it's no just, reason to kill Bert and Ernie. They've just, uh, they're just trying to live a life. <laughs> it's just so damn stupid. And every yeah. single move just mm-hmm. makes it stupider. Yeah. And 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 frankly, as much as I have kind of been on the fence about Agents of Shield, the people that work on the show are too competent for this. Yeah. This is this is shamefully bad. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. And it's something that we really should have looked at. But it's we're just given that this is, you know, this is Coulson and he's the good guy, so he's right. So anything he does. And, you know, given the current political climate. I'm finding that a little bit disturbing. I'm finding a lot of this really disturbing. It wasn't great in 2014, but the idea that because somebody is somebody that anything they do is somehow suddenly legal. uh, No, like that's not, that's not how it works. And that's not how it should work. Not a great look then has curdled like milk since. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I think I'm done. Okay. (laughs) So we can go to the stupid coda then, right? Oh, you mean so here's it okay. <laughs> there is a there is an anecdote about this coda. Oh yes, there's an anecdote. For me personally. Awesome. The so next what episode is, it? is the last yeah. one I have ever seen. Oh, interesting. Because Tahiti should have a face I can punch, but then they right. me with Asgardian stuff. Sure. And and you showed up for and that. I watched the next one, and that was the last one. I was like, not good enough. Out. Done. Right. Okay. So, fair yeah, enough. Let's talk about this coda. How do you feel about this coda? Okay. First of all, the codas on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. usually don't just simply start the next episode. I mean, this is just the beginning of the next episode. That's it's all true. this is. They just wanted to tease Asgard, you know, and like, great and whatever, but we've got promos for that. We don't need that in the coda. And the coda 
is usually used to broaden the wider story to give us uh, some sense of what the antagonist of the you know the season long antagonist is up to um to to open up some new question or new mystery i mean that's the coda that's what the coda does but here we've just got the first few minutes of the next episode and it's Asgardian and it has nothing to do with anything that's going on here. And we don't, you know, we've just had this whole incredibly drawn out, like emotional, complete, insane fever dream for Coulson. Right. And then we're just like, oh, so Lorelai of Asgard, let's just, you know. So the coda is weirdly tacked on, has nothing to do with where we've been, doesn't deal with the clairvoyant, which I think is something that's sort of important at this point and we should have maybe addressed in some way, doesn't talk about Coulson and how incredibly out of line and over the line he is and what he's done, which I think is really important. Um, instead, we're just like, oh, well, you know, nothing really important happening here. So let's just Lorelai of Asgard, you know, um, and it feels really misplaced to me it feels incredibly out of place i agree with that like they forgot to shoot a coda and so they cut the beginning of the next episode in i agree with that assessment 100 percent, except for one thing it worked on yes it did it got you to watch the next episode also clearly no one working on this episode gave a damn about any of the things that were going on in this episode so Mm -hmm. do we really want them to comment on it more in a coda i don't uh yeah i do i kind of want them to like you know to do something Uh to do something with it um but anyway (laughs) i'm now gonna try to figure out which part of tahiti stands for do something do something something. come on all right so you want me to call out my easter eggs i'm very proud of you Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so first of all, there was a Stanley cameo in tracks. We got him talking to um, to Simmons and Coulson um, and taking Simmons' side. He's a, obviously a very bad father. Um, and then we have this moment um, when Coulson says, what you're doing is against protocol. And we all know how much Clearly Coulson very loves protocol. So if you endanger an operation or if anyone gets hurt, I'll reassign you to Barrow, Alaska. You'll spend the rest of your years pulling the night shift guarding Blonsky's cryocell. Blonsky is Emil Blonsky, the abomination. So I pulled that out. I Good job, it. kiddo. <laughs> I was. Thank you. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Like, I have that in my notes, but there's no reason to revisit all of the Incredible Hulk things. And I was like, yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll see if Lonnie pulls that one out. And yeah. You yeah. No, I got it. Thank you. I was very proud of that. I was glad to have gotten it. All right. So here we are at the end. Joshua, tell me what's your favorite part. Uh, my favorite part is from Trax, the only good episode in this set yes. of three. <laughs> it is the moment that you alluded to it earlier where May yeah. comes out of nowhere. Yep. Well, actually, it's her knife thrown first. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. dude drops dead and she's there like bloodied and unbroken. And yeah. we have no context for it whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. And seasoned professional badasses, Colson and Ward, look at each other like, holy shit, she's going to murder us. <laughs> <laughs> we are that in a great, great lot of trouble, friends. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I mean, it goes nowhere. We immediately Mm -hmm. get the kind of explanation for the whole thing. But just those two guys' reaction shot was beautiful. Oh, they're fantastic. It was really great. They're like, what the hell? And May, I love her. Like, I think my, you know, my favorite part of that, my favorite part is different. But like when she comes in and she's like, wheels up in five, like she has not had a good day. She is very pissed off. That's the moment they know that they're not going to get murdered because she exactly. is allowing them back on the airplane. Exactly. 
but you know, they could get murdered by May at any moment. I think it's important it's, that everybody everybody know that. on that plane needs to sleep knowing that that's the case. Every morning they Absolutely. wake up is because May decided they could wake up. <laughs> May decided they could, absolutely. Um, so my favorite part is also from Tracks, which is an excellent episode. I, I love it. that episode. Yes, um, it is Simmons being completely overprepared with her backstory with Coulson, which I absolutely love, all of the details so that good. she pulls out. It reminds me a lot of the kind of info dump that writers will put in their work, especially at the beginning. I, you know, I guide and mentor a lot of beginning writers, yeah. and so I often have to walk them through exactly this kind of thing where they throw in all of these details because they did the discovery work for it. And they're so excited, and I'm like, it's important for you to know that, but your reader doesn't necessarily need to know that. So it's good that you have that information, and it may come in handy, and someday you may be able to use it in context in a scene, but we don't need to have it all laid out for us. And so it's just kind of adorable the way they had Simmons do that and I especially love that enthusiasm she has about I've learned that I can't improvise play to your so strengths I'm going to prepare. exactly and I just I love Simmons Simmons is one of my favorite things of all time no that was that whole scene was delightful you're right it does make me think of other writers that I've also mentored mm -hmm. and yes up to and including the sort of stilted way that it's just like stare straight ahead say all the things yes <laughs> it's so cute <laughs> And your it. prostitutes. <laughs> and your prostitutes. Plural. Well, if you've enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up A-Holes was brought to you by Chipperish producer Sarah from San Francisco. Sarah supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward will be reassigned to Barrow, Alaska, where she'll spend the rest of her years pulling the night shift guarding Blonsky's cryocell, which may sound like not a good thing, but Alaska is like really super beautiful. So, you know, it's not so bad. Also sounds like a good place to keep your keystone. Uh, I'm just I'm saying. I'm telling you. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions and makes Listen Up A-Holes a thing. To find out how you too can become a Listen Up A-Holes producer, visit the Patreon links in the show notes. Producer level support options are available at both Pulp Diction Productions and Chipperish Media. You can also show your support by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. Links are in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes 15 and 16. Yes Men and End of the Beginning. Until then, past events, like that unfortunate incident at the Hub, have shown us that we're not good at improvisation. We do, however, excel at preparation. Hey, Lonnie! Hey! Oh, God. I was just about to call you Justin because I was looking at Justin Hammer on the thing. Oh. <laughs> It's where my eyes were in the script, and I was like, "Hey, Justin!" Like I know hey, your name. Is, Justin. I, I know your name is Joshua. Let me let me just go ahead and go back and do that. Let's try that again. <laughs>